Welcome back to the Aviation RC New Podcast. You found us. My name is Joe. And I'm Matt. We're here to be with you along your journey and to share our experiences in RC Aviation. If you have any questions, thoughts, or want to share a flight story, hit us up at aviationrcnoob at gmail.com. Now, buckle in. Let's take off. All right, and we're back. Welcome back, everybody, to episode 49, uh, flying off of water, flying off water, flying on the water, seaplanes, but we'll, if by the end of this we figure out something else or need to name it something else, we'll... No, we got to do it right now. Yeah, the well, first I'm just saying, that's, that's the thought, but if by the end of this I'm like, oh no, this here's a totally better episode title, then we'll just rename it. <sighs> I don't know, maybe we'll come back here and read, like, dub over this bit. Welcome back to episode 49. Insert title here. <laughs> it's a duck! <laughs> or oh, flying man. off the water. Yeah. So how you been, Matt? I've been pretty good. It's been, um... It, it, this last week has been good and weird. Uh, I My kids are away on vacation, so... I had the house to myself, which is a rare occurrence uh, mm-hmm. during the school year. And it allowed me and you to have an opportunity to get together, which was pretty cool. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Which um, we we got to go out and fly a little bit, and we'll talk about that. Not a, not a bunch, um, but we did get an opportunity to run out there. So. Mm-hmm. Um. And then we'll yeah, talk about we... a little bit, a little about the about the history of boat planes, right? Yeah, or yeah, float so. planes, or whatever they were at the time. I'm curious yeah. to know because I didn't, I didn't realize it uh, how far it goes back. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I did double check some of those dates. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, oh, hey, uh, I've been saying, hey, three weeks from when we did the Spitfire build, which was the twenty second, right? Yes. And three weeks would put that on the weekend of the 14th. Correct? Oh, yeah. Why do I feel like there's maybe something there? I know there's a lot of things there for me. So we will have to find an alternate weekend, uh, and it'll likely be later than earlier, I'm thinking. Yeah, I know. But uh, I know you've got LARP on one of those weekends. Yeah, that's the weekend of the 13th. Okay, so why don't we plan on the 20th? Tentatively. Let, let's yeah. plan. Okay, right now, um, I'll be on the lookout, but it'll we're aiming for the 20th, is we're going to have the second Spitfire build night, which means I will likely build a second Spitfire. <laughs> and those <laughs> of you who were building with us and had still a little bit more to go and want to build the rest of it with us, you're welcome to bring it along. Uh, Joe, you're going to be chugging along on what you had been working on. If there's anything left by then. Yeah. So let's go ahead and talk about the build night. So, uh, cause we're into the, what we were building and flying. Um, and that kind of starts with the build night, at least for me. Okay. Well, um, I, what I want to do real quick. So we always put this stuff at the end. I think it's really important that we identify that if you like what you're hearing and you value what we've been doing here, um, we invite you to join us on Patreon and help us make this show possible. I know we've had a couple of Patreons already, and we really thank 
Uh, thank those guys immensely. Um, and also, if you have any questions while you listen to this thing and you start yelling at, at your, you know, your car stereo or wherever you're listening to it, because you're like, these guys don't know anything. Help us learn more. <laughs> and and with that, you're going to help all the people who are listening who need to know the right thing. OK, um, you can reach out to us at aviationrcnoob.com uh, is, is where you can find us. And in there, you'll be able to email us. You can email me at Matt at aviation. Wait. Matt, Matthew at aviationrcnoob.com. Joe, what is it? I don't email Matt, myself anymore. I'm pretty sure it's Matt. Is it Matt? Aviation, at, I'm pretty sure it's Matt at aviationrcnoob.com. And then Joe at aviationrcnoob.com if you want to reach out to Joe about something I said. So you can, you nope, know. You're, you're, you are Matthew. It's Matthew because I remember you always like, it's Matthew. And I'm like, but I'm Matt. I'm like, that's okay. You set it up as Matthew, and that's perfect, because that's my name. Don't worry okay. about um, And also, thank everybody who's on the Discord server and creating a really amazing community there. I just I wanted to get those things, because we always put that at the end. And I feel yeah. like if you're listening and you only care about like maybe what we're doing in the week, or maybe you only care about the history segment, or maybe you're looking towards a guest and you kind of skip, um, what you may not be hearing is the stuff at the end. And that's us basically saying, here's how to reach out. Please let us know if there's something you want us to talk about, if there's something you want to know more about. Um, and, you know, again, if you want to help us make this show possible, help us uh, keep the website going and things like that, uh, join us on Patreon. And we can do that. We're, how do we get, how do they get to Patreon? Patreon.com slash Aviation RC Noob. Okay, awesome. Okay, so let's go back to what you were about to talk about, which was what have we, what have you been up to in the last couple weeks, Joe? Uh, the build night, uh, is sort of the, the one night ahead. And it, I say that. Yeah. So the build night, I was, uh, basically I pulled the spitfires that you had done for me on the, uh, scroll saw back, uh, just before <laughs> flight fest last year. Last year. It's yeah. been it's been that long. We've had those things they, cut out for a long time. They have been in a trash bag since then. Um, <laughs> clean that you put them in. Yep. Um, but I pulled those out, and it, it makes sense. I knew there was going to be like some some markings here and there, but just I, I was having to recreate a lot of the lines. So what I f forgot to do while I was rushing through the cut of the wing is I forgot the beginnings and ends of the score cuts and the mark of kind of where the aileron surfaces are. Mm -hmm. And those are really not easy to duplicate. No. <laughs> and it would have been a really big help to have those on there. And I, I truly apologize. So Joe's That's looking fine. at it going like, oh, Matt, what'd you do? <laughs> I, yeah. He didn't say anything. He was being really graceful. I'm like, Joe. What did I mess up? He's like, nothing. You you did fine. <laughs> I'm like, hey, Richard, who was in there building and had the physical plans in front of him. What's the measurement on this? Yeah. What's the measurement on that? Let me just recreate the whole drawing here on the wing. <laughs> so yeah. that that's sort of what I did that whole night was get all the wings drawn, all their lines um, marked and drawn and partway cut and. I was working on getting a wing put together, um, mm -hmm. had it folded over, had the spar in it, had the servo in it and everything. And then it occurred to me 
that I did not mount the spar cor- excuse me correctly. You, I, I'd like to mention something specifically about the spar of the original FT uh, swappable Spitfire. Okay, is the way it's set up is there's only one spar and it says cut two. And the way you set it up is they basically are mirrors of each other and they Mm -hmm. kind of like overlap in the center and one faces back and one faces front. So that way it's like a left and a right hand shaking. Right. Now I only cut the thing and there was just marks on either end and it didn't say which side to cut (laughs) Uh or or to score so that you could fold it over and have Mm -hmm. a spar. And, and I did, you did, I did the cut wrong on one of mine because I did it like two of the same or something and I bent it the wrong side and it's like, oh, that should have been the other side. So I ended up just cutting it, but that's some part of That's the one part of the planes that gets, that can get you. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's not the end of the world. If you get it backwards, you just take the one that you got backwards because only one of them will be backwards, right? One is going to be fine. The other one will either be the mirror image and it fits right and you're good, or it'll be the same as this part you just made. And then that, that won't work. Right. So you can cut, cut it at the line and just glue it. I mean, you're just doubling up the thickness of the spar. So it has extra strength. Right. That's really ultimately all you need that the paper being continuous does help, but not as much in the way they, they made it. So you could have cut yours and glued it on the other side uh, unless you glued it the wrong way. And then it's well, yeah. Oh. Well, so fortunately I had four spars cause I had two planes. And so when I figured out what was going on with the wing spars mm-hmm. and I realized I had made them, I cut two of them, but I, yeah. I didn't cut them correctly. But if I cut the other two, the other way that I would have, two sets that were cut correctly. Right. So I'm good. I'm good on my wing spars, except that now you have now, a plane without spars. Yeah. Now I'm, well, no, I'm just a wing down and a spar down <laughs> because when I glued in the yeah. spar, yeah. the, the, the Spitfire wing spar, it is doubled up for a while. And then towards the end, it goes single, which I don't know why he does that. Well, that's like I said, single. where the hands start shaking, right? That's the part where you're like having a shaking hand. One from the minute. right side, one from the left. And the extra glue surface in the center and at the end of each of those parts that, that are sha- I call it shaking or overlapping in the middle, that extra glue, for some reason, adds so much extra strength, it's ridiculous. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on. Let's rewind. Does the double up line up with the inside edge of the wing, or was that double up supposed to be set back a bit so that the yeah, because that because the elbow where it angles up that goes up into the other wing a bit. Correct. Okay, okay. So what I did was I mounted it the double up flush, and what you were just saying had me terrified that I had indeed actually mounted it correctly, and that I junked a wing for nothing. But now, <laughs> no, no, no. You I, did I needed wrong. to have set it. Yeah, set the wing spar into the wing a couple inches. Right, so that so that, so that the crux, the the turn in that little, I'll call it the hand. Mm-hmm. It, that's supposed to be that that point it, that it turns. That's the center of the wing. Okay, and you had I, it set I, where where that where that hand you know is only a single 
single thickness of foam where it stops at double. That's where you set it into the wing and it stopped. And right. then so you had like the full plot spot that overlaps is like it, that was just sticking out. And that was supposed to be yeah. half of that. Without delving too much further into that, because well, it's, a, it's an easy mistake to make, especially if you uh, don't have the tabs all cut and the groove cut out. That helps. That really helps with the yeah. I didn't that. have the whole the the tab holes in the wings and the tabs on the the spar, which you can blame is fine. Me. That's okay. yeah. I blame you, but it's okay. Uh, you did me a favor uh, by cutting them out. Just <laughs> I'm having to learn to work around that. Uh, yeah, and that's one of those things. We also look if we had done this like the month after we cut them out, you'd have remembered to tell would, me all. Yeah, that. we would have remembered a lot of things. And uh, uh, yeah. but it's been you know nine months, so um, yeah, so. <laughs> no big deal, um, and I don't want to. I don't want to talk too much on details of that because if unless somebody is sitting there with the FT Spitfire plans in front of them mm-hmm. and knows where in the build process we're talking about, they're gonna be like, "What are these guys talking about?" It's so. just one of those things. This is what happens when you when you're building without the plans in front of you, because we really. I think we're looking at the PDF sort of. And I was doing the whole build by memory because I'm like, I've built enough Spitfire. I've built enough FT planes. I know the mm-hmm. build process. This isn't that hard. However, this plane has a couple of unique pieces to it. And if you get them wrong, well, it's not a big deal, but it's wrong. Well, yours also had a skin on it. It was hard to confuse where, what went where. It did help. <laughs> anyway, but we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, so, okay, go ahead. Uh, because of that, I had to rip that wing apart so I could get my my elevator or my servo back. Mm-hmm. But it was nice to see some guys come and hang us. We had, uh, Richard was there. Tony mm-hmm. was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesse came out. Yeah, Jesse actually pretending to build. He did. He brought um, a plane out and sat in in front of him while he talked to us. That's right. And I think he like <laughs> placed the, the tail on it and then took it off and then placed it back on. And that was sort of his <laughs> progress for the night. And he, he, like he confessed that, you know, he's like, I just don't build while I'm hanging out with people. I just, I enjoy talking and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he goes, but I'm I enjoyed this. ragging on him though. I'll build this later though. Yeah. And he yeah, did. I enjoyed ragging on him. Yeah. That's fun. He, he's a good um, guy. So yeah, there was this, the, 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 the build night and then the Saturday morning. So you drove down Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we could hang. We ended up playing a bunch of board games and eventually went flying, but while you were driving down, that while you were here, uh, I was putting electronics into the HRC seven. Mm-hmm. So the electronics are all in. Um, it was largely bench tested, uh, servos mounted, control horns, mm-hmm. uh, and we can kind of talk about that in a few. But that's sort of my building. Yeah, it looked and it looked good. By the time when I got there, it was looking very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got to see the glider for the first time. I know, person. right? And then all that time you're like, no, it's in there, Matt. And I'm like, God, there's got to be a way to get in there. And you're like, no, man, it's in there. <laughs> so I He's talking up. about my, my little wood coupling piece inside the fuse. Right. You indicated that basically you, you packed it solid with foam in there. So it would be very hard to, uh, I don't know, to fig- to get in there, right? So I looked, I picked it up, and I'm like, wow, that is really solid. Like, that's, that's pretty, that's a lot, of, that's a lot of foam in there. But, um, and then, and then I was able to kind of look at what you were doing and look at where the damage was, because that was hard to spot as well. There's like a hairline crack in the wood. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I can't, because that's going to, that's just going to bust. I'm like, well, I, 
It might. It might. But geez. Well, it already wasn't holding the wing well. Right. And that, that makes sense, of course, because, you know, it's it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of moment, a lot of rotational mm-hmm. torque on that part, which is what's prying it apart. And it's along the same wood grain and all that. Anyway, we'll get into woodworking. But so then I then I kind of was able to explain to you what I was trying to get to you earlier is that 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 piece that's kind of coating a lot of the a lot of that spar like you may not be able to get to it directly you may not have to dismantle that whole part but you should be able to get a window that gets you closer to it so you can like see what's going on and get tools in there and then we talked about basically saying grab some wood glue you know make that little window open like instead of the flap that would normally be where you put your battery you you make another flap going the other direction all the way to the spar so you can see it and then you just take a little bit of wood glue put it in the crack and honestly, you probably just let it go because <laughs> there's a lot of like pressure keeping that generally in the right location. Um, but it's pretty. But I've also got bar clamps, I could. Yeah, and then yeah, you basically just put. You can just put a book on the thing, a couple books, yeah. and it'll probably be fine. But anyway, you you let that dry overnight, um, you know, and then I think you'll be in good shape. You could even do strapping tape. And like an X pattern so that when you put the wing, it'll op- leave the opening for where you put the wings in, but it'll be, it'll, it'll sort of be an artificial clamp. So I got you. It won't be able to flex as much. It'll be helpful. I don't know if it'll be enough though. Uh, just ideas. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was like, okay, cool. I could see. And then it's a long, it's a, that's a long, thin wing. Yeah, it is. So that was really cool to see. It was cool to see in person. Um, mm-hmm. I wish, I still wish, and I'm hoping that maybe I get a chance to see it fly in person. One day. Yeah. Yeah. One day. Um, and so I did the Spitfire build and I forgot that I had skinned. Um, I have a pile of like six of them or something like that, because I know my kids, I want to build at least one for each of them, knowing that they're going to bust it while they learn. And then yep. we'll just build another one and it shouldn't be a big deal, especially if we have a bunch cut out. Well, I had printed out skin a skin for it from like rasterize or something like that from ages ago, like two years ago or something like that. So I had apparently cut it out and put it on top of one of those and that was ready to go. So when I pulled the stack down of the Spitfires, I'm like, Oh, there's a skin. It's all ready to go. Well, I guess I know what I'm building today. (laughs) So I started the build night kind of pulling everything together and saying, Hey to everybody. And then I started building and apparently I built like somebody was chasing me with a stick uh, that's on fire or something. Because <laughs> uh, by the end, this Spitfire was complete. It was fully built. Everything was in it. And I, I think I'd put the electronics in it. Like I put the servos in it and glued them in place. I hadn't, yeah, you were cruising, man. I hadn't put like all the servo arms. I didn't double check it. And I certainly hadn't made the connections and, and the little control the parts that go on the flaps and, and the surface control surfaces. But I know that that didn't take long. So that's what I did in the morning before I left while I was kind of, you know, letting, you know, doing all the things that I do in the morning, which is feed the fish and take care of the animals and myself and getting a couple of things ready for the trip. And I'm like, well, let me put a couple of things on the Spitfire. And all of a sudden in like about it, 45 minutes, I had a full, fully ready to go Spitfire. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, well, look at this. I guess we're bringing that. <laughs> Let's see if we can make it. <laughs> so I brought that and the old Spitfire, uh, the one that had been hung up in a tree. 
Yeah. And I had the T6 Texan. So I said, well, that's enough planes. Um, cause I, I knew that we were going to be spending some time playing some games, uh, some th- doing some other things that we really enjoy. Uh, so I brought those down and, and off I went and we came down and, and we enjoyed ourselves all day. And I, I kind of enjoyed kind of being there with you while you were kind of tinker building, um, putting little bits here and there while we were doing the, while we were enjoying our time playing board games. And then we, we did get out to the field and you and I were both like, what in the world? Like everything was working like 10 minutes ago. What in the <laughs> heck? Uh, you just run into some like typical crazy, like, oh, I forgot this one thing. And because I did, now I can't fly. <laughs> yeah. So. So what happened? There were, there's two, but now I found out three different things that went on with my plane. Um, and I don't know that this. None of which is the seven's fault. Um, I just want to put that one out there. So I'm using the seven's electric package. So it's it's uh, ESC and, and its motor. It's twenty two twelve, uh, orange can motor, fourteen hundred kV. Like that's. A well, I say it's its thing, but I think that was the can you bought for me. So I yeah. don't think that's necessary. I don't think that's came it, from. It's the spec. From Sam. Yeah, it's yeah. it's the same spec. And I talked to Sam, and he said, "Yeah, that's pretty much what we use. Like it. Yeah, I, it may not be the same ESC, and he may specifically have a different one because he has better experience with it. I don't know. And yeah. I just grabbed whatever Amazon had with it, and it's a JMT ESC thirty amp, I think two to four cell deal, and it's like, I think three amp or two amp going. And the, uh, out of the BC. It's something. So I, I specifically remember looking at it on the bench, the ESC, and s- seeing it was rated for three and four cell. I was like, great. I've got four cells. Because uh, I got two four cell 2200s. Yeah. I was like, okay, if I get this thing in the air, I'm going to have a long flight time. The motor is only rated for three, but I knew I'll just, you know, keep the throttle lower and not cook my motor. Well, when I was working on the bench, I was working with a three cell. When I was testing everything, getting everything hooked up. When I went out to the field, then I put the four in it. And when I put the four, the servos were going haywire. Yeah, it was um, like when you put them to full, they would like jump bounce. or jitter. Yeah, yeah, it was. Boun- bzz, yeah, bzz, bounce bzz, is a good bzz, way to put bzz, that. Bzz, 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 bzz. Yeah, between like. I don't know if it was fifty percent full or. Yeah, it'd go like a hundred to then a hundred and fifteen percent, and then back to a hundred. We can't go past with a servo, but you, you you can't. I mean, if if you set your value to 120, it'll go whatever uh, up oh, to okay. a certain point. Like if you have room in that servo arm travel, right? You know what I mean? I don't I don't know what you'd set it out to, but either way, it was jumping to like as if it went to 120 percent and then back to 100. And it and it was, it was but it was not like a super rapid flutter. No, which is. Not even that fast, perhaps. And so we were trying to figure it out because obviously I couldn't put it up in the air like that. And I was going through my transmitter trying to see maybe my mode's wrong as far as like, uh, cause I got the radio master, but mm-hmm. it was communicating incorrectly. Um, long story short, uh, I pulled the four cell and put one of your three cells mm-hmm. in there. Uh, and it all worked fine. So something with the four cell is causing an issue. And I did ask the guys on Discord today um, maybe what could cause that. And the only thing they could really think would be the increased 
uh, voltage maybe coming out of the ESC, out, yeah. out like out of the out of the ESC's uh, BEC to the receiver. Like if it was somehow the four cell was amplifying some sort of noise, mm-hmm. and so they, they suggested maybe getting a um, a, a noise choke. Yep, which is basically like a little donut magnet. Yeah. Yep. And then there's some um, you can step, and they actually ha- had a good example of it. There's some that you can literally buy as aftermarket, and you kind of snap it around it, like a little plastic mm-hmm. case with some donut magnet tabs, and you just close it around the wire, and that, that eliminates any stray, I guess, stray, stray signal. Yeah, I just... It even said out. It seemed awfully consistent for noise. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'll probably I will I will do some more investigating with it later. Um, the other issue that arose was I meant to. So, on the servo arms is where I use the clevises with with a screw uh, the <laughs> screw clamp. Yeah. That drives into the side of the push rod. And on the underside of the wings where the aileron servos were, I meant to put a dab of glue to lock the nut mm-hmm. of it in so it, it wouldn't back out and fall off my ailerons. Yeah, which is um, which is the reason why I don't use them that often anymore because I've had that same problem. Yeah. And you had a great – you have that solution for it, which is you just glue, glue the nut down. It can't rotate. In the, if it can't rotate, it can't back out. Mm-hmm. Well, it precisely that it backed out um, because you can't cinch them down and they stay because the moment your servo goes and has got the push rod, it needs to twist. Right, it needs to rotate, which then because of the push rod, it's going to yeah. un untwist the loosen nut. that nut. Yeah, yep. it's going to loosen it, the and nut. It gets that. Yep. So it basically my nut fell off right there in the in the grass and my I had. Because I was also looking at my ailerons as I was swinging left to right. Remember, I was looking, yeah. I was like, why is my ailerons acting yeah. so weird? It was weird because it was like, they're going. It's all good. Oh, no, it's not going at all. <laughs> yeah, this, this aileron's not going at all. Then yeah. it is. And it's kind of not. And then it is. Yeah. So, yeah, my, my servos came disconnected from my wing. It was just not the outing that that plane was going to be made in. No, and and I'm kind of glad that it wasn't something else that we saw it. Oh, maybe we can. Like, no, that means you you could go back and take a little bit more time, and make sure all the things are right, mm-hmm. um, and then make sure that because that that main will be a lot more successful. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but speaking of maidens, okay. Yeah, well, so I had the newly minted Spitfire uh, that I had ready within what four hours worth of work, I think. Yeah, it was pretty quick. Uh, including including a skin. Um, and it, uh, so we went and got it and tried to get it in the air. So we realized where we came out towards the end of the day and we're like, well, this is the golden hour. But it also means that it's also going to be short-lived. So let's yep. get this going on. And so I did, a, I did the balance test. I'm like, this feels a little on the tail-heavy side. So, but we'll see. Let me launch it because it, it looks like it, it might be close, um, and it just might be real sensitive. Well, I was flying it, and the first let go, it went in the air, but it was, it, it was a roller coaster. It was up and down and up and down and up and down. Like there was no easy way to control it, and I couldn't 
get it going left or right in a controllable way. So it wanted to tip stall and do all sorts of weird stuff. And I'm like, okay. Well, you're, you're also launching and flying at like really low throttle levels. Yeah. I put it to like 75% throttle. And was it even that high? Yeah, it was. And then I, okay. I gave it kind of a, I didn't like throw it. I didn't like huck it. I just uh, sort of let it go. And now the mm -hmm. reason why I did that is because there's two reasons. One, the first time I flew the first Spitfire, that's how I launched it. And it just flew like a dream out of my hand. It was like perfect. And I think some of that has to do with the skins and the glue on the plane made the plane more tail heavy than the original build without yeah. the skins. And so the average overall mass is f behind the CG. Mm -hmm. And now that there's no more mass all around the plane, it's further back. I needed more weight in the front. And the 2200 three cell isn't, it's perfect on the regular one, but it's not enough with the skin because there's glue. Well, remember, remember the trouble I had getting the, uh, the vulture leveled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and again, I kind of knew, but I was like, well, maybe. Anyway, so two propellers later, I say, you know, it's, <laughs> You're it's CG. Yeah, and thank you, by the way. So the first <laughs> one I had, I went and, and it landed. And it's one of the, uh, those really cheap, uh, like inexpensive and cheap as well, uh, as far as quality. They just touch the ground and boop, they're gone. Yep. And it's a, they're 10 by four or five slow flies. Um, I don't know what brand they are. And it does, I think it's like UXL or something. I don't know. What, I, uh, they're all over Amazon. Um, and I know they're going to break. If they touch the ground, they're done. You know, it's like, yep. oh, all right. And you're like, well, I got a bunch of them. I'm like, well, we might need them all. <laughs> but okay, let's see what we can do. So yep. I, anytime I go flying, I take about five or six of them. Exactly. Um, and I don't know why I didn't have them. But anyway, so I appreciate that. So we yeah. put, put a new one on and off we went. And I almost had it. And then I started realizing this one's going right for the water ditch. <laughs> like, oh, no, yeah. I better pull up. And I, I just missed the ditch and got to the other side of it and broke the prop again. And so retrieved it, got another prop on and said, you know what? Do you have a heavier battery? Because I'm like, I can I can put this other pretty heavy battery in it and it'll just be a heavy Spitfire. And that'll be interesting, you know. And you're like, no, I've got the four cell. I'm not using it because the seven isn't, we can't fly it. Because why don't we try this? And so I'm like, well, the whole yeah, system. Let's give you an upgrade. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm, I'm using the traditional CPAC. So the, the radial CPAC. So it's rated for 4S. The ESCs are 35 amp. They're rated for 4S. So I knew the system would be fine. So I'm like, all right, plugged it in. And it had just the right weight. And I was like, all right, let's go. So off I sent it into the air. Um, I'm trying to remember, did I? I think I crashed it one more time trying to figure out. Because it, it wanted to turn one direction pretty pretty hard. For whatever yeah, I think reason. You, I think you set it down a little rough. Yeah, I had to one like, more time. You bring it around and bring it back. And then it's like, oh, I busted it one last time. You had one last prop. And I'm like, all right, let's get this on here. And so I sent it and flew it. And we were flying around pretty good. Uh, and it, it, But it had a tendency. It wanted to, I couldn't tell if it was the rudder or the ailerons. And at one point, I had it kind of hanging from the prop. And it wasn't trying to. Uh, rotate around the prop, it wanted to nose over to one side. So I was like, oh, mm -hmm. that's probably rudder. And so I was trying to kind of fix that in the midst of flying it. And 
So I got in enough where I could fly it around and we had some fun and I was flying around and I was realizing it's starting to look a lot more like a silhouette than it was an actual, just an airplane flying. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, this will be very short lived. And I'm bringing it around. There, there's a couple pine trees kind of in the middle of the field, as it were. I'm like, cool, yeah. we can use it as like a pylon. And I'm going around it. And for whatever reason, the way I'm standing and I'm only looking at the top of the tree, I'm thinking it's a big pine tree. So I come around it. I come, I come back around the backside and I'm like shooting back off into the open field beyond. Mm -hmm. And you turn to me and what is it you say? I said, there is a second tree back there, Matt. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> ah, <laughs> all right. Yeah, well, I, I don't know how you missed it. And, and at that point, I mean, I was already kind of full tilt going, going through it one way or the other. I'm yeah. like, if I can't just shoot up and, and hope I miss it, like that'd be, it, it was kind of acting squirrely enough where I didn't, I think I'd cause more trouble trying to duck and dodge out of the way of that tree than I would just trying to go through it. So I just left it. And just hoped I wasn't going to hit the tree. And yeah. fortunately, I didn't hit anything, and we made it to the other side. And we had a little bit more acrobatics and had some fun and brought it in. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'll tell you what, I was, I was, I tried to play it calm, but I was definitely going, there is not, there's another tree over there. Oh, no. <laughs> oh my God, we're going to, we're going to crash. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a lot of fun. I mean, for a little while, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And you and I haven't been out flying together in, too too long. Oh man, has it? It's been Flight Fest last year. No, I we I'm trying to think. I thought that one of the times, like six months ago, when we played D and D, when we got together for one of them, I think we got together one of the mornings just real quick and ran out and did something, and then you guys left. But it was like a couple times ago, and that was a yeah. while back. Okay. But it, it wasn't as far back as Flay Fest, but it was, it was pretty far back. It's been a minute. Yeah. It's been a minute. So anyway, it was really, it was awesome to come visit you guys. It was great to get out and just, I don't know, do hobby stuff together and fly. Yeah. And I was so, your seven looks awesome. And I cannot wait to see it in the air. I urge you to, I'm going to send you those pictures of the landing gear. I urge you to make landing gear for it. Because I think you're going to have a lot more fun flying it and landing it and taking off and flying it and landing it. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy that um, well, when you get to it. May, maybe I'll bring it up this weekend and we can tinker with that. Okay, that should be fun. Good. So, All right. Um, we talked about the, the next build night coming up. Before we get into our main thing, because we're actually running a little long on that today. What you thinking? No, I'm trying to remember. The only other thing I did is a Stargazer Voyager thing, the mm -hmm. the flying boat. I, I kind of in in lieu of this topic today, uh, I I created that like the little minimum RC version. I made a big version of it. So I put the electronics in it the other day. I got a power pod, kind of fashioned a power pod for it, and put some servos in it. And I'm trying to figure out where in the world, like how big a battery. I think I got a rearrange the way the tray is set up. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how it fits, but the electronics are in. So it should be in the air probably by the time you come down. I'll I'll either have given it a maiden or be ready to give it one. Okay. So, yeah, so that'll be a flying boat, but a totally different way. 
Oh, and one last thing I've been working on, which was largely tonight, um, just because we find, we had the build party and I didn't have anything ready for it. Uh, we've been talking about the podcast liveries for the Spitfires going to Flight Fest. So what I'm doing right now, uh, we were doing it before we started recording, or I was, mm-hmm. is going, going through the FT Spitfire, uh, plans and using them to create masked layers in Photoshop that I'll then be able to, uh, Matt and I can mm-hmm. talk and figure and actually have some, uh, some livery done up. Which from there, uh, somebody could, one of you guys could eat, one of you guys, you guys can either print off and use as a skin or you can, I can, uh, ex, I'll, I'll export in such a way that it's like primary, secondary, tertiary, uh, so they can be cut if you want to use them for, uh, masks mm-hmm. for, for spraying the, if you're doing the spray paint. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, ideally by the time this episode goes live, if not, uh, shortly thereafter, just keep an eye out in the best place. To find that's in the discord. Uh, but we'll try to be sure to post that on our Facebook page as well. Awesome. Okay. So that usually um, brings us to the community section. We did talk about the build night already. We talked about the upcoming build night on the mm-hmm. uh, tentatively the 20th of next month. Um, yep. Was there, did we get any feedback? We did. Um, Richard, good old reliable Richard wrote in yeah, uh, for feedback. Uh, he said, just listen up to number 48 and around the 27, uh, I guess 28 minute mark. Uh, Joe was trying to think of the Italian that produced early drawings of prototype aircraft. And as Matt pointed out, it wasn't Archimedes, but Matt, I am sure that it wasn't Michelangelo it wasn't. either, but Leonardo <laughs> da Vinci. It was da Vinci. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I just knew it definitely wasn't Archimedes. <laughs> it's like that guy displaced water and stuff. That's totally different. <laughs> Uh, but then he went on to say, good topic on 48 on, on what to do if it's too windy. I know I speak about these a lot, but have, uh, but found that having the RF5 light installed really helps when it's windy. Flight mode three still allows full control of the plane, but helps counter any sudden wind turbulence and makes the handling as, uh, handling it as if it's a much larger plane. So, yeah, that um, makes me, cause it's always so windy where, when I fly or where I fly. Mm-hmm. Some, and especially the time I go and fly, I might need to invest in some of those boards. I've I've got one. I just, yep, me me too. It's in the Piranha. Oh, okay. <laughs> I bought one that I uh, that I got with the FTCA uh, community discount. Yeah, yeah, I remember. That's right. You did. Yeah, you need to yep. put it in. You should put it in your Corsair. I've thought about it. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. All right. So on to the main topic. We're talking about flying off water or water flying or seaplanes. Wait a second. Planes. Before we do that, don't we have a history section? Oh, I thought we were going to do that afterwards. No, history section is always after the community section. I thought history section was normally after the main topic. No, man. The history section is always before the main topic because history section almost always kind of leads into the main topic. All right, well, we'll do that then. And then we'll get into that. So, there's foot resting. Um, I just kind of put together a short history on your... Are you moving stuff? No. Okay. Um, 
Yes. That's why it jumped around on my screen. <laughs> it did. I was like, where did my notes go? <laughs> Uh, so I just put together some short notes on the history of boat planes, uh, and I'll go ahead and now we'll, we'll talk definitions later. So the uh, the first patent for a boat plane was in 1876. What? Which predates the Wright brothers. Well, yeah, I mean it, it predates by like a lot, by yeah. 30 years almost. But also there were. Like there were attempts at powered flight. Yes. Just nobody was getting it to work yet. And they weren't getting the controls correct, for sure. Mm-hmm. And they could get, what, powered gliding, but the whole thing for flight was that you had to take off, fly around, and land, and land at a same elevation or higher than you took off from. That was sort of or, the requirement of saying, yeah, it's, it's flying. I, I would have to look up the definition officially on that, but that sounds about that sounds fair to me. Yeah, <laughs> I'd like. I mean, that otherwise definition. you could just like fly off a hillside and right. glide down. Yeah. So. Okay. Anyway, uh, first patent was in 1876 by a Frenchman named Alphonse Pinot. 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 Yeah. Pinot. Yeah, I'm American, so we butcher everything. It's I'm sorry. P e apostrophe. N A U D. So yeah, it's, it's E with the apostrophe. Oh, it is. I just, oh, okay, I yeah, got it. yeah. The apostrophe's on the E. Um, and then after that, um, that that's about all there was to be said on that. Be Pinot. Uh, Austrian Wilhelm Kress is credited with building the first seaplane uh, in eighteen ninety eight or nineteen oh one, depending on the source. So I know it's a three-year span, but I saw both dates. Uh, he called it the Drachenflieger. Dude, I did uh, the name, man. Yeah, basically a dragon flyer. Um, look at this plane. Oh, you're looking at it now? Yeah, look at that thing. That is full of wings. Yeah, it is. That is really cool looking. Uh, however, it did not fly. Its 230 horsepower engines were not powered. Uh, Anyway, it's two engines. It says 30 horsepower were not powerful enough. It sounds about right. Uh, and the motors were too heavy uh, for takeoff. Right. Yeah, that was, um, that was one of the big inventions or one of the things that the Wright brothers focused on was the conventional engines that were there were were much heavier for their power level. And they, they were working with ma- uh, engine manufacturers to create lighter engines. So that mm-hmm. the powered flight would be possible because they're like, these things are just too heavy. <laughs> we need to make yeah. them out of aluminum or, or less steel, something. So, because these are just monsters. Okay. I know why that 30 horsepower is messing with me because I was thinking of a 22, but the 22 is kilowatt. Okay. So basically what happened with this plane, it may, it may, I'm not saying it would have, but it may have, it may would have gotten up and flown. Um, this was, this plane was done with, I think, grant money. Um, yeah, 5,000 krone grant from Emperor Franz Joseph. Okay. Um, he wanted to, uh, in the attempt to create the first heavier-than-air flying machine. And so, uh, with the grant money, was designing and building this plane. And in the, in Cress's notes, he wanted... Uh, he knew that he needed a 37 kilowatt, 
uh, of power from an engine weighing no more than 220 kilograms or 475 pounds. Um, but when they went to purchase motors or get the motors, the, to have a motor like that designed and built was exorbitantly expensive. And so, uh, they, they cut the cost and went for an existing automobile motor that was both weaker and heavier. And so because of that, uh, it was never able to take off. Now it was able to, you gotta quit sticking stuff in here. Um, <laughs> throw my notes. Uh, well, anywhere. I didn't expect it to be so big. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry. So, uh, now it was able to, it was able to taxi successfully. Uh, it had controlled taxi for, uh, taxiing around, but also with a headwind. Um, mm-hmm. and so even though it never got off the water, uh, several of his elements were proved, you know, successful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and then one of his pontoons or sponsoons, sponsons, sponsons. sponsons. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the yeah. outriggers. Yeah. Are the sponsons and then the, yeah. And anyway, go ahead. But one of those was damaged when he had to make an emergency maneuver to dodge something in the water and the plane sunk. Um, then, uh, June 6, 1905, Frenchman Gabriel Voisin, uh, flew a towed kite glider on floats. Okay. Uh, uh, so I guess they towed it up to speed and then let it go. I'm not sure. Uh, but, Flew at about 150 yards. Uh, later, he built a powered float plane, but that was unsuccessful. Um, and then, March 28, 1910, Frenchman uh, Henry Fabre. Fabre? Fabre? That's like Brett Fabre. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, the Frenchmen were really on this. Um, <laughs> March 28, 1910, uh, Henry Fabre flew the first successful powered float plane, the Fabre uh, Hydro- Hydravian. Mm-hmm. That's which what it looks was, like. Yeah, which was their word, which is the French word for uh, seaplane, essentially, I believe. Yeah. Um, I know I had the notes pulled up over here. And it was called that because it was actually unnamed. Um, and so it sort of adopted the French word for what the plane was. Uh, I was trying to look over here. Um, yeah, I don't see it in the notes there. But um, his first flight was 500 meters or 1,600 feet, and he had no prior flying experience, um, which at this point I guess few had. But. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's only a handful of people who had the ambition, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they flew. he flew three more times that day, and then within a week, uh, flew a distance of 5.6 kilometers or three and a half miles. And then the aircraft was uh, damaged pretty bad in an accident. So It's a, it's a pretty neat looking uh, plane there. It's really cool because there, there's some good pictures of these. Um, and they are wildly, I don't know, they're wildly different than I expected, I guess. Yeah, it's not what we would uh, necessarily feel safe jumping into. No, but I guess they're kind of modeling it after either bats or or birds. That's it's really all that was there to work with, right? Yeah. Uh, nobody had proven too much else. Um, and I, I kind of added my favorite, I'll call it my favorite early flying wing. I think it was the one of the first flying wings. 
the Burgess Dunn uh, BD-8. And that's basically Canada's first Navy plane. They basically put literally put it on a boat. So rather than having it on some like landing gear skids, they literally put a, a long, thin boat with sponsons on the outsides where the skids are on the ends. And that was a boat plane. Mm-hmm. And it was the, the first uh, naval plane in the Canadian Navy. And it was also purchased by uh, the British Navy and uh, the American Navy. Okay. Well, that was up through the first flight of a seaplane. So Yeah, nice. There, there's plenty more, and then it dives into the World Wars and all that, but yeah. I wanted to get us up through the first one. Mm-hmm. Good work, man. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Can, can we talk about the actual topic now? That's what we always do after the history. <laughs> okay. So a few definitions out of the way. Uh, there, the, well, the seaplane statement. The, the is, topic, the main topic is flying off of water, right? So yeah. our goal is to talk about how to get a boat, how to get a plane ready to be able to fly off the water and then things to watch out for when you're, when you're doing that. And then maybe things to be ready for when you're trying to land it. Mm-hmm. Is that is that fair? I think that's fair. Okay. And then by first thing we need to do is talk about what what do you mean by boat plane, right? Let's right. talk about those definitions. So seaplane is what we would generally, I guess, what's generally called a plane that flies off the water. But that's broken down into two subcategories then. There's the boat plane slash the flying boat. And then there's the float plane. So the boat plane slash flying boat would be more like the sea duck. Uh, the, the fuselage serves as its main source of buoyancy. Okay. And under the wings, you may have floats attached to help stabilize the plane. Um, and then a float plane would have the floats mounted under the fuselage to provide the buoyancy. So that would be like a Cessna or a Cub um, with pontoons mounted where the landing gear would be okay and then you can act you can have um amphibians both boat plane and float planes amphibians that have landing gear uh, Mm -hmm. and as such are capable of landing land or water yeah like an icon Mm -hmm. to a degree uh rutan skegel is a good example there's an interview that flight fest or sorry flight test did with them he had him on, they had him on the phone and he was talking about his skegel. And it's pretty interesting because he was talking about how when you're, when you're landing on an airstrip, right? One, it's smooth generally. And two, your landing gear has got shock absorbers, right? But on a seaplane, when you're landing with the body of the plane itself, when you hit a wave, you're taking the whole airplane and getting, it's getting smacked around. Basically, there's yeah. very little to absorb that impact, right? The whole plane is, is absorbing the impact. And he had come up with an idea on how to basically reduce that impact and have it so that it's a little bit more um, like you're landing with a little bit of a uh, little bit of shock absorption before you hit the water. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he was it, it, listen to the interview, because if you're interested about that kind of thing, he talks about that aspect of flying seaplanes now was that an old episode or was that something it, fairly it was new? one of the old uh the old podcasts 
and I'll I'll see if I can find um, but I'll see if I can find the episode, uh, and we'll we'll put a link to it. Um, but uh, yeah, it. Let me see here. Uh, it's the Bert Rutan podcast number seventy four uh, from Flight Test. It's on YouTube. I'm going to give you the link. Uh, we're going to put it in the show notes right now. Um, but yeah, it's so when we're talking about like when you talk about a boat plane, you know what I mean? The difference with a, with a boat plane is like the hull is absorbing the impacts, right? Whereas a float plane, it, the plane still is to a degree, but it's limited on how much is impacting the water, I guess. Yeah. Well, there's that, um, you've got the rods that reach down basically that would hold your landing gear that's now holding the pontoons. Mm-hmm. So I guess there's some flex in there yeah. to kind of absorb it. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't I didn't think about it, but yeah. You got you got the big nose hull of a boat plane just smacking on those waves. Yeah, and I think that's one of the differences in in uh landing and flying those those craft. Anyway, so uh, so let's get into you know, I guess the next step is really like well, how do you make a plane a boat plane, right? How do you make a plane a boat plane, Matt? Uh, you attach floats to it is one way. You could basically make like a small, like I'll call it a plastic boat, or make it out of some other material and literally attach it where the landing skids are, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> which is what they did with the BD-8, the, the Burgestown Flying Wing. Like, and they've done it with a lot of other airplanes. But if you look at there, there's even a Spitfire with pontoons, basically. And so, yeah, it was the, um, wow, I hate, I can't remember the name of the, the naval version. Yeah, I don't. Seafire. Seafire, that's right. Thank you. You're right. Um, and, you know, it's just two long pontoons. And uh, one of the things, uh, I guess, you, so you can, you can buy floats, basically. You can either pre-make them. There's plans that you can build them yourself. You can build them out of like XPX extruded polystyrene, the pink stuff that you like wrap around your house, right? Right. You can make it out of Depron, much like you would out of Dollar Tree foam. Um, you could take Dollar Tree foam, but you're going to have to protect the skin, protect the paper. But that's mm-hmm. one of the beauties of making it out of Depron. Like it's not, you know, the way it's glued and all that stuff, you're, you're not going to ruin the foam. Right, it's not gonna. When it hits the water, it's not gonna fall apart. Um, with the well, assuming all your glue joints are watertight. Well, even still, well, yes. it's not gonna fall apart, but you're gonna lose that buoyancy. Yeah, you'll lose some of the buoyancy. It depends. I mean, if you make it solid out, out of Depron, uh, like well, you know, yeah. stack them up and then shape it. Uh, we, I've seen that done. Um, so that's one way to make sure that you don't have a problem. Um, and you can do much the same with Dollar Tree foam, where you just take the paper off of both sides and glue it using. Um, the foam tack and then you have a solid piece and you just sort of shape it with sandpaper um, you kind of cut it generally to shape and then you sand, you know, sandpaper to final shape um, yeah. and a lot of people who want it to look if you want it to look glassy smooth um, you can wet sand it with a finer grade sandpaper is one way to do that you could also take a lightweight spackle and put it as like a final skim coat and then you sand that down using the fine sandpaper to get a really smooth coat. And then when you spray paint it, you use enamel 
And then that spray, when it's done, is going to look glass smooth, especially with like two or three thin layers. It's yeah. going to look beautiful and it's going to be looking like a pretty sleek piece of pontoon. Which will also help it get through the water easier. It does. Um, one of the things that you notice about, what, what do you notice about all the pontoons that you've seen uh, for, for planes? No. They have, a, they have a thing on it that helps it get into the air. Oh, well, see, I wouldn't have noticed that. And I've only seen it on the sea duck. Okay. Well, yeah, because so it's, it's part of the plane itself. Like, right. Straight. Uh, so what is that called? Uh, I, I forget what. You go ahead. I, I forget it's, what it's okay. called. It's a step. I, we, I okay. just thought you'd remember from what we talked a little bit about it before. But even if you look at like the. I think I pay attention. Uh, Sometimes. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no. So even if you look at like. Um, the Spruce Goose. That's a boat plane. Yeah. Um, and you could see like right right behind where the CG is, there's a little break in the bottom of the hull. And it steps up by a short amount. Um, and what that is, is the, the whole point is that way, uh, when the water is traveling under, under the hull of the boat, it wants to basically cling to the bottom of the boat as you travel as it the boat travels across the water, mm-hmm. um, and so as you're gaining lift, the boat is starting to be less buoyant in the water, and it's starting to rotate to go from kind of back heavy, right, a little bit kind of sitting tail tail into the water, and it's it's now it's starting to actually get lift from the wings itself, so it's going to rotate to be level, right, like it's flying, right, but it's still got all the water stuck to the hull. Right. So how do you make sure that the back of the plane doesn't get stuck into the water? Yeah, that step up. You have the step. If you have the step, all of a sudden that water is broke along the back of the plane. And now it's not attached to the bottom of the hull on the back half of the plane. So now all you're doing is you're basically adding a little bit of nose weight towards takeoff. Effectively. Okay. But it's almost balanced with the amount of water pressure pushing the nose of the plane up out of the water the faster you go. Right. So it ends up creating a pretty decent balance, but it also makes sure that your tail doesn't get sucked into the water even further as the wake builds and pull, you know, lowers the surface of the water behind the tail of the plane. And now you've got a nose high attitude as you're trying to take off your airspeed's low nose high attitude means you're going to stall. And that's really dangerous. So to, to avoid that, you, you get the step there and the step helps break that, pull down into the water and it also helps reduce the amount uh, and that allows the lift to do what it needs to do and keep the plane level and all that kind of stuff. So if you'll notice. And they'll have that even on the, the pontoons oh, they yeah, put? every single one. Hmm. Uh, I've made, honestly, so because it's, you know, we typically run with like easy, somewhat disposable floats or as somewhat disposable, uh, you know, foam planes, build two pontoons, put one, that has no step and one that has a step, right? And see how they how they fly different and see how they take off, like what the takeoff characteristics are. They'll probably land the same, um, but they're they're definitely going to they're going to take off very differently. Hmm. I think you're you're more likely to stall on the one with no break, with no step. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, what are the what's what's one other thing you really need to pay attention? We talked a little bit about it, right? If you've got floats, 
and you've done some things to make it, what, what else do you have to do to the rest of the plane? Like, does it, can we just make it out of paper? Oh, talking about waterproofing. Yeah. Why would you want to waterproof the plane if the only thing that's touching the water is the floats, right? I don't know, Matt. Because you're like, if you're like me, sometimes things don't go perfectly. And yeah. it's hard to believe. <laughs> yep. And if you dink it or you get a splash or, you know, catch a wingtip and yep. cartwheel, it happens to still land on the floats. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've had it where I've been going really good and then the, the wingtip will touch and you and that the water again kind of creates almost like a suction on the wingtip, and that mm-hmm. the wingtip won't come out of the water no matter what aileron you don't have enough speed to get any like rotational force from the ailerons. You're stuck with a wingtip in the water, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and and that's it, and you're not getting out of the water. Sometimes you'll you'll have it. Maybe you have the CG a little bit wrong, and or you built the pontoons a little wrong, and the tip of the nose of the pontoon will catch just under the surface of the water and it'll flip over like you just you just smack the nose of it. Yep. And now you've got a plane that's upside down with all the electronics pushing down on into the water. And if it's not waterproofed, A, not only is water going to go in, but it would kind of maybe keep the water out. It would help, yeah. It'd give you a little bit more time to rescue it. Right, but if it's not waterproof, the and... I mean, that, that doesn't even take into account a hatch on top. But if you're not waterproofed, I can tell you my Spitfire, it took a while because it was spray painted, but that the rain got to it, it fell apart. It, like, yeah. it just, they'll go to pieces. And if it's not remotely uh, resistant to that, you don't have much time. Right. Yeah, you before all your stuff is sinking. And I know when we talked about the covering episode mm-hmm. uh, with Chris, we covered some of the stuff. Uh, about like how do you take care of because he he's in Canada so when he flies in the snow once he's done flying everything he's got on that plane turns to water so he's got to worry about this too and it's you know how how do you treat this stuff so that it doesn't fall apart when you're done and he he mentioned you know you can tape it and that works for a little while you can use the covering material like monocoat mm-hmm. and if you're really good about it and try to do like one single piece along the bottoms of stuff and wrap it around so that way there's no gaps or holes. You'll have a pretty watertight deal there. You can use waterproof foam board, which is basically a plastic impregnated paper. Um, You could always just use straight foam because foam is sort of waterproof in and of itself, but Mm -hmm. you're, you don't have the added strength of, uh, of the paper. Right. But when the paper gets wet, it doesn't add any strength at all. (laughs) <laughs> um, so there's a, uh, catch 22 there. Um, but you could also add like little pieces of balsa edging to give strength when, you know, if the paper fails. Okay. You know, so that's another way to kind of say, well, you know, I expect it'll happen as long as I build it this way, it might hold longer. That's worth experimenting with. Um, you could, uh, let's say I talked about Monaco where you basically, you keep it like a single, and that's one way to do pontoons. I've seen people kind of wrap it. And then as they wrap, they sort of shrink because it's like a shrink-eating plastic effectively. Like almost right. all plastic will shrink with heat and some far more and allow for a lot more maneuverability. Uh, Monocote's a good example of it, right? But basically, if you wrap it around and shrink it as you go, you effectively create like a, a heat shrink around the whole pontoon. 
Okay. And then while it's warm, you can kind of massage it into place so it stays there. And then that creates like a watertight seal in itself. You might be able to do that with other parts of your plane that you want to keep watertight. Like, again, the pontoons and the main, with the sponsons and the main pontoon. Mm. Um, Another way is fiberglass, too. I mean, that's what boats are made out of is fiberglass epoxy stuff. Yeah. Epoxy coat. You can even take the paper and just epoxy coat it if you wanted to. Right. Which is sort of the one that I remembered, um, whether it was spray epoxy or brushing it on. Mm-hmm. Or the, the only thing the to polyurethane. Keep in mind, yeah. 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 The thing to keep in mind there was, uh, I think Chris said that it made the foam more brittle. Yeah, that's what he because, said. Because it penetrates that foam and then cures and dries, so it kind of removes some of that flex that it has. Right. So it's like it's harder, it's stiffer, or like it's more, um, it's a little stronger, but when it breaks, it's... It's brittle. Yeah. So be careful of those, uh, those hard belly lands. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, I mean, those are ways to kind of treat each individual surface. I've used water. I mean, I've used the tape and I found that the tape, the water will get past the tape. Like if you're using the, the colored tape or even packing tape and it'll work, it'll work for a while. As a matter of fact, I made a, uh, an airboat. And I used it at all hours of the night and all hours of the morning when all the dew's on the lawn. And it held up for a while, but it eventually eats, gets past it and it, it'll touch the paper. And basically now you've got tape attached to soggy paper. <laughs> yeah, It's now not uh, to etch to foam anymore. <laughs> so it kind of doesn't do its job at that point. But it's something to consider. I know uh, Numavig, he makes a lot of his planes out of a Depron. But he will tape cover that. Now, I think that will hold up a lot better. So it's possible that if you make a, a solid foam piece or fuse or whatever, you could probably tape coat that and it would have really beautiful color. It would be waterproof because both the substrate and the surface would be water waterproof. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, they would both kind of assist in, in keeping it that way. And if you did the hatch well enough you might be able to keep most of the water out, especially with a good magnet and a good seal. Um, and then you don't have to worry about waterproofing your water, your electronics as much. Yeah. Okay. Um, which is, I guess, the, the next step, right, is assume it's going to fall. Like, assume it's going to flip over and parts of, good parts of your plane will submerge. Like, maybe not all of it, but there will be parts that will submerge. And it'll always be the parts that can't take water. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think that's Murphy's Law. Yeah. If it can go wrong, it will. <laughs> that's pretty much it. It's pretty much how my life works. If we're wrong, Richard, we're right. And let us know. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So what are the ways? I know we've talked about it in the past. Do you want to cover real quickly just the things you need to waterproof? Uh, and and some of the quick ways to how like you can go back to I think we talk we we have a whole episode I think a couple of years ago or a year ago about waterproofing right did we um, waterproofing servos I thought because when I was talking a lot about my um, uh, the submarine I was talking about how you can waterproof servos or at least how I'd seen. I think you may have talked about it in passing. Okay. I certainly don't think we dedicated a whole episode to it. Okay. Well, do you want me to cover it now then? Yes, because you're asking me and no, I don't remember. Okay. 
Well, then most likely our listeners don't remember either. So let's <laughs> let's cover it again. Well, uh, Flight Test has a couple really excellent YouTube videos, I think, with uh, Peter Schreepel. So I don't know, what is that, year three or four, about waterproofing your electronics. And basically what I've learned and what it comes down to is you can take either conformal coating, which is, uh, which is kind of like a way to pot your electronics. Potting is basically, I think it's, uh, waterproofing or literally, um, dipping all of your electronics. So it's in a solid ball of epoxy, essentially conformal coating is a hydrophobic, uh, coating material. And so it basically causes the, mat- the water does not want to stick to or, or stay on that material, mm-hmm. that coating. So it'll run off of it. Like, kind of like Rain-X uh, for okay. a windshield. That's, that's why it's a hydrophobic material that you spray onto the windshield. And when it rains, the water runs right off because it doesn't want to stick to the Rain-X. Um, okay, so you can do that. You can literally dip your electronic, like the ESE, the whole thing, in epoxy. So you can take off uh, the heat shrink and just dip the whole thing in and just let it, let it get solid. Um, you can also take epoxy and kind of squirt it in and push it into the ends and keep the heat shrink on it. That way, if there is an issue and you think it's something you can maybe go fix or you want to unsolder and stuff, you can basically take off the shrink shrink wrap and the epoxy will still be there. So that's not as good as just completely dipping it in epoxy, but it's pretty darn good. I mean, it'll hold. Uh, The other thing you could do is you could put the conformal coating in the ends. You can also spray. There's, there's a, I'm pointing behind me, like it's behind me, but there's like a, it's like a, um, it's an electronic shoot. I can't think of what it's called. Um, there's a spray that's specifically about, um, it waterproofs electronics. It's a dielectric spray. And what that does is it actually, it's like an oil that that coats the electronics. It doesn't conduct electricity and it keeps the water away. Um, so you can get that stuff. It smells like peanuts. I don't know when you spray it, it smells kind of good, kind of weird at the same time. Cause that's not what you expect. Right. (laughs) At least I don't. I mean, I know WD 40 smells kind of weird when you spray it. Yeah. You're like, Oh, that's not bad. I, don't know if I should feel good about that. <laughs> uh, so you can get that stuff, and I, I can't think of it. You could also take, uh, there's like grease, basically. You can just... like Lard? Yeah, automotive grease, basically. Oh, okay. Like, like marine grease, I think is what it's called. Like marine-grade automotive grease or something like that. And you just like yeah. smear that stuff in there. And mm. that's one of the ways to do the servos as well. Uh, I would suggest you put that stuff around the electronics and not around the gears because it's kind of viscous. So the gears get mucked up. I think I've ruined a couple of servos doing that, but you can also, but so, okay. So that's how you protect your ESCs. Um, and ESCs in some of those instances, when you put it underwater, especially with salt water, um, they may stop working, but once they dry back off, they'll be fine again. Um, brushless motors, you can run underwater. They're fine. If it's in salt water, you just 
dry it off, like use compressed air and dry them off that way, like after you're done. Otherwise, the salt will corrode the metals. Yeah. Um, and then I think last but not least, the last piece of it. So you want to do that same thing to with the conformal coating or all the stuff that you do to the AC. Do that to the uh, receiver. Um, the only problem with the receiver is if you have a bind button, you don't want to spray the dielectric stuff near the button. Because it will get in between the contacts of the button. And now the button is dielectric. It's basically blocked from activating because you, you put like a, like a, it's effectively like a thin layer of rubber tape in between the contacts of the switch. I mean, generally those buttons are inside a push top dome though. I, right. I'm just saying generally, but that's also like a, it's like a filmy water that will seep in and through and underneath. Okay. And because that's a possibility, you just, I mean, it's as simple as basically you, you can just maybe put a dab of glue or whatever and then spray and then take the glue off and then put a little bit of conformal coat there. Like, I mean, you know what I mean? There's, it's not super critical or you could just spray it and hope, but I mean, it's your receiver. And if you want to bind it to something else, that might be a problem. But if you don't need to press a button, just go have fun. Um, you want to make sure receiver is protected and then last be like us and have bind cables. Yeah, exactly. And in which case then you don't have to worry about it. Uh, I would protect the ends of the wires that way, that way they don't short circuit or wait, no, wait, that way they don't get the film on the connectors so that when you plug into your servos, it doesn't actually connect to the wire pins. So that would, would be the be that would it be that good of stuff to it might I don't know I mean you could try it and tell us call in let us know okay don't call in <laughs> but email us and let us know reach out on discord say tell us if you've tried that if you've done the spray coating or the conformal coating got some uh, all over your receiver and now all of a sudden it doesn't work because the servo leads don't make contact effectively That'd be interesting yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to think of where the things that were wrong. And I remember with that dielectric spray, they said, be very careful. Wherever you spray this, it will protect it and it will stop any electricity from passing. Hmm. You know, like you're protected, but <laughs> that's part of the problem. If you're, if you're doing it to things that you don't want protected, you just got to be careful. Um, okay. And then last but not least, we'll talk about the servos. Servos, probably the easiest way is to just spray it with that, that I, I want to say it's like DX 70 or something, whatever it is. I, I know in the waterproofing video, he, he covers specifically what that is. So it's, it's, it's the spray thing that he uses and, and he tells you it smells like peanuts because it does um, spray that in the electronic space, spray that with the gears. And so what you have is there's a couple spots where water might intrude into your servo okay. where the, where the screws come in, although that's very unlikely where the servo arm and the, the gear there, that yeah. shaft, that's one spot of intrusion and where the wires come into the side, that's another mm-hmm. spot for intrusion. So what you can do is take out the screws and now you've got a servo that's basically all of your, all of your good stuff, right? Uh, your electronics in the bottom and the gears in the top. Um, you can fill the whole thing with oil and uh, actually, olive oil has the same density as water, 
so it won't be buoyant when you're done. And then you can fill it up. And then, of course, that will displace any water that might try to get in. And that'll be the same at any depth. So if you're making a submarine or a plane you know is going to go way deep in the, I don't know, maybe you want to make a, a dive bomber that literally drive, dives into the water and you want to see how far you can get it down. I don't know. Maybe that's a contest. <laughs> maybe it can be one. I don't know. But the, those servos, you maybe if you want, if you know it's going to go like 10 feet down, you're, you're going to need something like that. But for almost all the applications you'd want with an airplane, you could just do the spray. That'd be plenty. Okay. I wish I could find the darn spray, though. It's going to kill me that I don't know what that spray is. Here, you you do that, and, and I'm going to look it up. What am I doing? Uh, you go on to the next spot, the next part. Now that I've covered what the electronics are, like how to waterproof them. Right. Um, I mean, you've still got, uh, what, how to actually take off and land. Well, well, Joe, how about this? Tell me, have you flown uh, float planes in the simulator? No. Well, there goes that. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. In my experience with the duck, taking off was very similar to a, not that I've done run, uh, landing gear, but it just, it, it was very much how I expected it to be. Once I throttled up a bit and got her to plane up on top of the water a bit. Yeah. So I wasn't able to just punch it and go. I had to give it some gas just to just get her moving and get her planed up. And by planing, I mean you, lifting up on top of the water. Right. So when you're going fast enough to get some lift on the wing, it then starts sitting up on the step. That's what they call it. You want to get up on the step. So mm -hmm. what's that doing? That what that's doing is basically getting the plane, the back half of the plane, to get out of the water, and but it's still like the plane is still in the water, but the back half is up and level. That's getting up on the step. Yeah, and then from there it was just give it more, and then pull back on the stick, and there she was in the air. And then thirty seconds later, I smacked into a tree. So <laughs> that's my experience. Yeah. Well, you had a great experience taking off then. I did. You were there with me. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> that was exactly <laughs> how to do it. It's like, okay, you go faster, go faster. It's up on the step. Okay, you're ready to go. You know? And we're airborne. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Um, what I've done is I've, I have the Porco Russo plane, um, the Sea Angel. I believe, wait, is that right? I believe it's Sea Angel. Um, and what I found was that if the pontoons dip into the water too much, it will catch, so the, they'll grab basically the whole front of the pontoon, and then it'll kind of like drag the whole thing down into the water. Mm -hmm. And if it's not buoyant enough to come back to the top and just kind of hang out on the surface of the water, um, you're you're gonna have you're basically gonna go in circles, and then you're like, shoot, I can't do that. Um, landing, let's see. So I mean, that's really taking off. Is you basically want to. Try to keep it going as straight and level. Keep the wings as level as possible so they're not going to accidentally dip into a wave and grab the, the front half of one of your either wingtips or pontoons or maybe the props. Because when they right. hit water, they're going to slow down. And you want to make sure that they try to keep out of the water as much as possible so that you can gain enough speed evenly to get up on that step. And at that point, you're pretty much skimming along the surface of the water. Mm-hmm. 
um, choppy water, so really windy, is not the best time. You want it to be as smooth as you can get it, um, you know, because those waves aren't going to help you. They're either going to like kind of bump you into the air before you're ready. And if they do that, then you're going to nose down, possibly. Yeah. And that that's never or or wing tip stall and the wing will go down in the water and then you're 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 basically gonna and then we'll talk about what we're gonna do when that happens. But let's say you get up on the step and you get in the air. How do you think you come down? What is there anything special you need to worry about? I mean, in my mind, it's just set your approach up and more so than more so than perhaps we're accustomed to in this hobby when we belly land fly it until you're landed yeah fly it into the ground yeah (laughs) fly it down to the ground like don't don't cut out don't pull back on the throttle and just let her flop down yeah um yeah you want to keep the throttle and just keep flying and just just keep flying lower and lower until you're now on the water Mm -hmm. that's it that's exactly it so that, okay. that's how you land, and then at that point you can kind of ease it down, having differential thrust, or or your rudder dipping into the water when the tail sits down into the water helps helps with control. Uh, you can get pontoons with little rudders, there and little servos that you can hook in, and those are actually really good at helping you steer around the water. Because I mean, if you think about it, if you're um, a Cessna on pontoons, your your rudder isn't going to get a lot of authority. No. You know, so the best way is to get little little rudder servos in those things. So keep that in mind when you select one or build one. Um, okay, so something went wrong, and now your plane is upside down, <laughs> floating gently and being kind of pushed by the wind further away, right? Because that's inevitably <laughs> what happens. Um, or you landed, but you kind of like cut the throttle and, and dumped it a bit, and the nose caught just enough for the momentum to flip it over or it grabs a wingtip and now you're just doing circles and mm-hmm. it's not coming back out of the water. Cause you tore one of the pontoons off. Yeah. That happened to me. Um, yeah. you know, the, the one, you know, just loosed and it's like, Oh, well I, and it was on a, it was on three inches of water, <laughs> but it was like the entire football field was three inches of water. Mm hmm. And I was like, oh, that's going to be a long walk in a little bit of water. Um, wet feet that day. Anyway, uh, so what do you what do you want to do? Um, what do you want to have with you? You want to have, like, ultimately when you go, you want to have basically a retrieval plan. Okay. Um, if you think you're a great fisherman and you can cast really far, that's a method. But I've never heard anybody use it. But I thought of it just now. You just like cast it out, <laughs> get a hook in the plane, and just start reeling it back in, gentle and slow. Um, if it's kind of limping along and doing circles, but they generally go a direction you want, you could do that slowly. Um, but but probably what you're going to do is basically you're either going to get like a model boat or build one out of like a dish pan and like a pusher prop in the back. And then what you want to do is you want to have it like PVC – uh, PVC arms with um, pool noodles on the outside edge, like bumpers. Uh-huh. And you want to have those arms, like goalposts, to be bigger than your plane. 
or about as big as the model you're flying. So you essentially to... go out there and scoop your plane up. It, well, it won't really scoop it up. It'll just sort of catch it so that as you turn the boat to bring it back, it'll kind of ush, it'll kind of keep it in that little basket. Where did you get this idea from? I've watched a lot of people tank some stuff in some water someday. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> and then they were, like the follow-up video was, now I need to go buy. No, I'm going to build a boat. And they basically went to get a big Ziploc container. And that was what they did is they basically, they they had some awful little boat. I don't know what. Maybe They, they even maybe grabbed their kids like towy boat from the, from the bathtub or something. And they like put a stick with a motor on it. And then they put a Tupperware container with all the electronics. And then they literally <laughs> like uh, zip tied that to two cross arms. And then they put the PVC tubes with... And as long as it's sort of balanced and they would put like shot or some sort of weights in there, just like sandbags right. and stuff, just to keep it so it's level. And then they said, okay, let's go. And they just put it in the water and like kind of tested around a little bit. And then they went out and pushed, basically pushed their plane back, back to the shore. Hmm. So if you can stand in a spot where the boat can come all the way to the shore and you don't have to step in the water. There you go. <laughs> if you can um, so you can take a look at a couple of those things. I know, um, speaking of Peter Streepel, that was one of the things he has done in his thing. I think he created 3d printed files for a really cool tugboat. Um, and he had that specifically with like a little harpoon gun on it and FPV. So he could press a button and it would shoot the harpoon out to what he was trying to retrieve. And then huh. it was like a little FPV on it. So, th cause he wanted to have fun with it. Right. You know? And he had a couple, you know, you you can buy like a really cheap RC boat from uh, like Walmart or wherever uh, and just use that as your, as your base, you know, and then just take out the receiver and put in one that's more reliable. Okay. So those are, those are ways to retrieve. So just keep that in mind. <clears throat> Assume something will go wrong and protect against the things you you need you know when that goes wrong um mm -hmm. tony was mentioning when we we're talking about this he's like honestly you don't need to super protect it you know but you're going to get spray you're going to get water and as long as your boat is reasonably protected or your plane is reasonably protected and you have a good hatch where you keep your electronics you probably don't have to really waterproof your electronics but it doesn't hurt if you take at least a little mild precautions right <clears throat> like scotch, yeah. like even a spray of scotch guard or something, you know, just something to kind of yeah. keep the water from getting deep in there. Right. All right. We got anything else on that? No, I think that's it. All right. Well, while we talk about what we're going to be working on and then get out of here. Okay. Uh, I'm going to get that star Voyager thing in the sky. Um, I'm probably going to get the Spitfire that I'm going to build next time. I'm probably going to do much like I had and get a skin on it or, or get whatever scheme I'm going to put on it. Right. I'm going to get on it. Um, let's see. Uh, I've been, I have the P61 on the table and by the end of the week, I'm going to figure out what went wrong with it so that I can get that ready to maiden. Mm -hmm. Before you get down so that when I move it, it's in one good shape. 
Because right now it's on the table we need to play D&D on. <laughs> kind of need that. Yeah, kind of need that. So there's a couple of planes. That and um, uh, what is that? I'm going to try to maiden the... Uh, what is that plane that I was working on forever? It has lights in it and stuff. Oh, um... Goodness night. I'm going to figure out how to fasten a little metal clip or the little metal clips on there properly so that mm-hmm. they won't come apart and then I can actually give it a maiden flight. Okay. Uh, darn it. Now I won't be able to think of it. <laughs> well, uh, on the outro, I'm sure I'll remember. Okay. All right, go ahead. What about um, you? What are you going to work on? Well, I've got to, I've got to go in and replace a missing nut on a, uh, servo arm control rod clevis uh and then get those tightened back down and put the dab glue i need to go into each of those push rods and i i finally got a dremel uh, um, yeah sorry that's okay i call i call them dremels um you're french i don't know how really i don't know how you, i don't understand it go ahead yeah go ahead. anyway I've got one, so I can put a little grinder wheel on it and grind the oh yeah the flat spot for that screw. Because uh, I need to do that for all the push rods. Because the I think the elevator and the rudder gave out and were slipping, uh, and actually the elevator uh, control horn came unglued, so I need to reglue that. But, okay. Um, I'd like to work on that because that shouldn't take too much. I don't know if I'll get around to the maiden. Cause we're going to be out of town this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Spitfires. So try to get some progress done on Spitfires so that leading up to the build night, um, got a little bit done. I'm not going in there with n- nothing built. Okay. Oh, uh, the spray is called corrosion X. Okay. That's that spray that smells like peanuts. And there's like, there's two grades and they're both good, but if you're going to salt water, if you know you're going to go in salt water, uh, mm-hmm. get the heavy duty stuff. Mm. And I want to keep messing in Photoshop, uh, getting the Spitfire livery for okay. uh, Flight Fest figured out. And you and I will probably be communicating on that a little more this week as I get the uh, the layer mask set up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're definitely. I I'm I'm with you. I think we'll be working together this this week to get that. Because what I want to do is have enough time. So if you're coming out to the second Spitfire build night and, you know, that you have time to get that printed out, you know, Mm -hmm. in some fashion or another. Yep. And use it and join us. All right. Well, anything else? No, I feel better now that I know it's Corrosion X. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) No, that's it. All right. Well, then, as always, guys, we thank you for tuning in and listening. We hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to us just ramble as much as we enjoy <laughs> rambling. <laughs> as always, you can reach out to us at aviationrcnoob at gmail.com, or you can reach Matthew at matthew at aviationrcnoob.com, or you can reach me, Joe, at aviationrcnoob.com. Uh, feel free to uh Join our Discord server. Join us in there. Chat with us. We got a bunch of kind of real good community of guys who like to be helpful and have a good time. Follow us on our Facebook page where we post our events or any important updates. Um, if you like, swing by. Uh, 
sort of our Patreon page. Mm-hmm. Um, sign up to be a patron. Yeah. Help, help us know. Help us do some really interesting, fun things. We have a, a bunch of ideas. Um, some of it is merch. We do. Yeah, some of it is merch. Some of it is oh. stickers and things like that that we'd love to do a lot more of. Um, and you know, it just you know, it costs money and. You know, having a little bit of help with that would help us get those things happening sooner. Mm-hmm. And um, that was it, I think. Yeah. You did good. All right. You too. Good job, man. Dude, I want to build this Draken field or whatever that's called. Uh huh. That thing's awesome. The the Draken Yeah, the Draken One, the name itself. I don't know. It just it just yeah. reminds me of some heavy metal song. Hey. You know we haven't ended, right? Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> Say goodbye, Matt. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>